1: Bear Bears fans, it's time for an, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City, Gridiron, and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And I am excited to do this podcast today because this is something uh, that this person and I have talked about doing for a while. You know, we're, we both have busy schedules, and, and we've done a crossover before with Bears over beers with with EJ and Jeff Berkus, but we haven't ever, Jeff and I have never sat down and just done a podcast, the two of us. Despite both of us being regulars on the Windy City Podcast channel, so with the season wrapped up, with Kevin Warren being introduced, wanted to get together with Jeff and have a podcast, kind of talk about everything that's going on with the new president and, and this upcoming off season, which has a lot of fascinating scenarios. So without further ado, Jeff Burkus, who's going to be building the board on podcast all off season long, and he's got Baron Balance with Lester. Uh, you know, regularly throughout the off season and he joins us now. Jeff Bill Zimmerman, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, and I'm really excited for this. And I'm worried about all of the things that you're going to bring up that I've been wrong about in the past. And you've just been <laughs> keeping a list. And now we're going to have to—I'm going to have to make amends here.
1: No, no, no. Because the the one thing people know about Bears Banter is that I'm wrong all the time. But I feel if you really say things confidently and loudly, that maybe people will believe you. Because you know, it's 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 what's funny, especially when you get to like you're talking about building the board and leading up to the draft. Is, is we all like to to look at these college prospects, and, you know, this guy's a can't miss, this guy's a can't miss. And, and like, I always bring this up when people bring it up. I, you know, and I, I was a lot younger then, but I loved David Terrell so much. I thought this was like the changing point of the Chicago bears offense and how they were going to start doing new things. And he caught a couple touchdowns, a couple fun <laughs> touchdown celebrations, but that's all he did. So no problem there. You don't have to, don't have to hide. Don't have to check your notes and and, and make sure you've got any errors Uh, Because I'm in a really good mood today because I, look, no one knows how Kevin Warren is going to do as Bears president. You can have a a level of confidence in him, but watching him today and watching him control that press conference and what he had to say, and sure there's cliches and there's the, the typical, you know, ownership, you know, front office speak that, that we got from him. But for me, there was just a, Difference in how he handled himself out there, how he discussed, you know, what was going on with the Bears, what his vision was with the Bears, compared to you know the George McCaskey and Ted Phillips year-end pressers, Jeff. That I mean, I've eviscerated a lot the last couple of years because they just looked lost up there. This is a guy to me that felt confident in what he wanted to bring to the Bears, and I feel that confidence is something that's going to trickle down into the organization, and and really. I think the bears really pegged the right guy for this job.
2: I completely agree. And you think about any job that you look at and they post this like very aggressive want list of all of the things that they would like to to have in a job. And, you know, you look and you read that, you know, you and me, Bill, we might look at that and say, you know, I check about six out of these 10 boxes. Maybe I'm qualified and you get in the interview process and yeah, you're, you're pretty good candidate for the job. The bears went out with a checklist of, you know, 15 things. And Kevin Warren checks all 15 boxes and has amazing examples of each one, right? Like, Hey, we kind of want to build a new stadium. Yeah. Let me talk about us bank stadium in Minneapolis. Oh, by the way, on Chicago Avenue. Right. So here's this like amazing candidate who has all the experience in the world. And this is a gift to, to George McCaskey to come in and have somebody who he can just hand over and say, okay, do this thing. Because, the last, you know, 22 years, you've had an internal candidate who did his best, but was probably outmatched by a lot of the job requirements of the the modern NFL. Here, you have someone who can step in, and I feel very confident he can do this job. And the most important aspects of the job, which right now are building a new stadium and taking the Chicago Bears into that modern NFL. Great hands. We're in great hands.
1: Yeah, I I really agree with that. I, everything you had to say, and you bring up the stadium. And obviously, and they talked about it a lot in that press conference, how important that is. It's it's an important issue right now. And, you know, people kind of wanted to ask him about a timeline and things like that. I loved his answer that there is no timeline. He goes, because when we when we did this in Minnesota, we planned for a full year before we even thought about putting a shovel in the ground. I mean, that kind of thought process, I. I. I mean, I am really excited with what, you know, at, You know, the Minnesota built a great stadium up there. I am really excited with what he is going to do with that land in Arlington. I, I think the Bears are going to have something special. You, absolutely. The, the first time they can get a Super Bowl, there's going to be a Super Bowl in Chicago, other events. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be great for Bears fans, season ticket holders. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. But, but beyond that, And like you said, like Ted Phillips kind of felt like outmatched by the by the modern NFL. And I've always had a stance that Ted Phillips should have been in charge of business operations and that there should be a team president that kind of oversees all. And and while, you know, I saw a lot of Bears fans. Oh, it's going to be the same old thing. Kevin Warren said Ryan Poles has full control of football ops. That's fine that Ryan Poles has full control of football ops. My biggest issue always has been that both George and Ted have basically said that they don't know anything about sports or about football, like they're just fans, they don't follow it. Yet, Ryan Pace or or Phil Emery or whoever it was was reporting to them, and they were responsible for evaluating their their work as the general manager and that doesn't work sure there's wins and losses and that's something that anyone can look at but there's a lot more that goes into the football operations and the general manager job and kevin warren i mean this is a guy who's run the big 10 conference he, he was a high executive in minnesota that had success and talking to brad spielberger from pff who knows that minnesota organization well he, he interned with them years ago he can't speak higher of Kevin Warren and what he's going to bring to the table. So I think it's that all encompassing confidence and just like, it just felt like there was the president up there and not someone just talking for the sake of talking. Cause they have to do it at once a year.
2: And you had to love how he started off by saying he got his start in this business by representing one, Mr. Chris Zorch, right? right. Like you gotta love that as a, as a kid that grew up with a Chris Zorch jersey, right? Number 97 jersey. I probably still have it in a closet somewhere. See if I can dig it up. But that was his first client when he was out uh, trying to be a sports agent. That was his only client during his first year. So, you know, he was in uh, you know, Chicago to negotiate the contract. And I believe he even had Zorich there on hand, um, in the room to kind of thank him for that, that, or at least he thanked him for that early on in the presser. And that is just a a really cool three, you know, three sixty kind of thing for him to come all the way back in his career, a man that's accomplished a lot already in his career, but to come back to kind of where it started said, Hey, talking with his wife, this just feels right. The Chicago feels like home. This feels like the right opportunity. So for him, this is, this is where his career is going, which I just think that's really cool that he has been able to hit this milestone job for himself, um, and it feels like the right opportunity for him. And he has all of these really cool things that he's going to be able to accomplish and leave his mark on Chicago, on the Bears, and on the NFL for a long time
1: yeah absolutely I I you know I think we're on the same page here both excited and and like I said we, d- we don't know how this is going to go but you you just you have to feel good for the first time in a long time about the the kind of the direction of the front office above the general manager it's not something that we've been confident with at all and I, and I can't be I can't be happier you know I didn't expect to be this confident coming out of today. So a lot of good things with Kevin Warren, but there's a lot to get to on this podcast. So I don't want to spend too much time there. And, And let me just kind of, as we dive into the off season, let me just kind of why don't I just ask your your general overview about year one, you know, of this uh, of Iberflus and, and polls and kind of an overall evaluation. I we don't need to go through the team and, and talk about how all the weaknesses, you know, we we we've done that for the last month when there hasn't been much football to, to discuss, but but in terms of these two kind of Ryan polls, what he did in terms of setting himself up for this year, what he did building the roster for this past season. Matt Eberflus, I'm having a really hard time evaluating him based on how little talent there was on the field. But but where are you with the, these two guys after one year?
2: Right. I, I've been trying to think about this, giving myself a little bit of time now that the, the season schedule has come to an end and we, we shift to offseason schedule stuff. But the one thing that I've been thinking about is did he take chances? Did he try to churn the bottom of the roster, he being Ryan Poles? Did he try to bring in guys where you could try to unearth some gems or t- or take a second chance on guys and see if he got anything out of it? Now, he did that. Uh, none of those guys necessarily panned out in the way that he probably was hoping. So, like, say, a Nikhil Harry, right, didn- didn't really uh, produce... According to uh, the hopes and dreams of, of Ryan Poles, maybe a guy like Armand Watts, right? A little bit of an exchange of a defensive tackle. I think he's a good rotational piece. I think Armand Watts is going to be on this roster next year, right? So there's a little bit of of positive that he did in terms of that roster churn and getting guys in and, and trying to get, uh, you know, some reps for some guys, and then you have, you know, chances that you took maybe we'll see that next off season uh, with the full off season in and, and maybe, you know, a guy like Alex Leatherwood, maybe he can compete. Didn't really show it in his first uh, reps here this year. We're you're for him though, right? He got mono, right? So you just don't know. These guys had all uh, weird histories and injury, but overall he did things that I wanted him to do in terms of really trying to strip this roster clean, get the, the, the salary cap figured out, take that gap year. And then he was able to, Find a trade partner for Robert Quinn, who did not do much after the trade, didn't do much before the trade. Found a trade partner for Roquan Smith, who clearly he decided was not going to be a future Chicago Bear after that failed negotiation this summer. But he got pretty good value for him sending him to Baltimore. So those are pretty good things that he did you know, he's going to take criticism on the Claypool trade unless Claypool turns out to be a good wide receiver for this football team. Right now, that looks like a loss. I'm still willing to give him the off season and see what happens uh, at the start of next year before I'm willing to put in my final grade on the Claypool trade. But right now that doesn't look particularly good. Right. But overall, I think he was active in trying to find some roster churn and give some guys some reps that would give you an opportunity to evaluate some players that you could see into the future. Now, a lot of them didn't work out. So you want to just go results-based business, not great, but I liked the approach. The approach was good. The process was good. If he keeps doing the right process, I'll be happy. As far as Matt Eberflus, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> it seems like some good stuff. Um, you, you know, you, you, I know it's a little football meat heady, the, the hits uh, principle, but I kind of liked it, right? It felt much more of a disciplined team. You didn't see this team get penalized nearly as much as under the Matt Nagy era. You have to like that. Um, I think that there was some good after the mini buy right that that good uh, uh a change in direction for the offense uh where they said okay Justin Fields maybe you can run the ball uh let, let's see if we can put a little behind you and then that really opened up the offense and and the bears were cooking at least for for, uh, the middle chunk of the season, which was nice to see and gave us more confidence in Justin Fields going forward. So there's at least something there. That defense was pretty terrible the whole year though. So (laughs) what's going on with that? Uh, Is it just a lack of talent? Is it a scheme that's just not working? Do you you need a ton of really good players to be able to play good defense? That's not always the great sign of a defensive mind if you need all of the best players to have the best defense. And so I think there's a lot to be said about where what he needs to be able to put a good defense on the field. Um, uh, but I do think that they did enough this year with low levels of talent to feel good about let's give them this offseason. Let's see what this if this team can compete like the Lions and Jaguars this year, then you feel pretty good.
1: Yeah. And and kind of expanding on your point about Iber and, and the defense is I do think you do kind of have to look at the big big picture here. And again, I'm as I said, I'm on the fence on Eberflus. I think next year is going to be really where we're going to get to evaluate him because there's going to be more talent on the field. But when they had Robert Quinn, who, mind you, didn't do much, but at least warranted attention, and when they had Roquan Smith, who was having an up and down year anyway, but when those two guys were on the field the defense was at least competitive. It was scrappy. You know, they didn't give up a lot of second half touchdowns They, You know, they, they, I felt like they were getting some, some blood from the stone, so to speak early in the season. But by the time those two guys were gone and I think more more of it was Roquan than Robert, Robert Quinn, but when those two guys were gone, I mean, literally they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, it was just, it was 450 yards a game, 40 points a game. I mean, we, we just saw what offenses were doing to them and there wasn't, wasn't much to do from there. But for, but for me with, with Eberflus is I, again, I put it, you know, I'm going to Paul, you know, get an incomplete grade, so to speak on year one, just because I just, I just don't think it's fair to evaluate when, I mean, we're just, we said going into the year with Robert Quinn coming off 18 sacks and, and Roquan Smith, that this might be the least talented team. If it's not the least talented team, one of the bottom two or three least talented teams in the league. I think a lot of us content creators really had that consensus about this roster. So the fact that they went out rated two out of their best five or six players, and then continued to tank and, you know, finish with the worst record in the NFL, that shouldn't be surprising. And I don't think that's necessarily a knock on Eberflus. I think it's more of a reality of the roster.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. It makes a lot of sense to just say the Brian Pohl's accomplished kind of what he wanted to do, which was reset the roster. He got the number one pick. I don't think he thought that he was going to have that in the middle of the season and that, you know, 10 game losing streak or 11, whatever it was that they ended up the year with. It was a little surprising, but um, they were in some of those games. They probably could have flipped a couple of those results, particularly in the middle of the year. By the end, like you say, some of those guys were injured. They just sort of fell off a cliff. And by the time they get the divisional games uh, after Buffalo and 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 Philadelphia, which were no contests, uh, those divisional games just felt like, you know, yeah, there's, that's not going to happen. They're going to lose these.
1: Yeah. So, and when I look at Ryan Poles and I've made no you know, secret about I did not like his offseason approach in terms of where I know he had limited resources. And the last thing I wanted him to do was try and punt money into the into the future to try and squeeze out wins. But, you know, you know, I've argued with a lot of people the Khalil Mack trade. I wanted to see them get a little more value for that. If they couldn't get a one for him, I wanted first round value. So maybe, you know, that second round pick with pair it with maybe a third, something like that, or a future third, future fourth. So didn't love the return on that. But you know, obviously I understand they're they're rebuilding and, and clearing the cap space. A- and the limited resources he did have, I felt he focused a lot more on defense than offense, and offense at the end of the year or end of the offseason, I should say. You know, let, let's just grab Nikhil Harry on a cheap trade. Let's grab Michael Schofield and Riley Reef, who are still available the day training camps are opening a- and see if we can piece together an offense. And I thought that was basically an unfair approach to Justin Fields when you're trying to evaluate Justin Fields in year two. Now I will say that if you told me the bears would have the number one pick in the draft, I would say, well, they are absolutely taking Bryce young because that means Justin Fields is not the guy maybe unfairly because of the people around him. But the fact that they're sitting where they are now with, I would, you know, based on even what Kevin Warren said in his press conference, the, you know, the confidence that this organization has in Justin Fields, and I think, you know, well-deserved, obviously, I'm not stepping out on a limb with that that comment, but the fact that they could be as poor as they were, and yet we still saw Justin Fields emerge in a lot of different ways. It, 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 I really, I, I've said this in like a column on Windy City Gridiron, it, it kind of was the perfect season. Like if you're going to rebuild where the Bears were a year ago, and you said, all right, you know, Justin Fields is your future and you get the number one pick in the draft. I would have said those two things can't be married, but here we are.
2: Yeah, I, I know I said it somewhere at the beginning of the year. The problem with being on four different podcasts is that you don't know exactly where you said everything. And I'm not <laughs> going to go back and try to research the archives. But a lot of people were pretty upset with Sports Illustrated. And we have to step back as Bears fans and say, that preseason prediction where they predicted three and 14 and everybody kind of blew up and got pretty upset. Yeah, they were right. But this team was a little more fun than I think anybody would have thought they were more competitive in in ways that we wouldn't have thought. But at the time I said, you know, guys, if they come out of this year and, and say they they know Justin Fields is the guy and they have the number one pick in the draft. This is a this is a great place to be because this team has so many holes. They can trade back. They can build that draft capital that they can they can uh, uh, take advantage of for years to come. That is the perfect scenario. If they come out of the year and Justin Fields isn't the guy and they have the number one pick, that's a great place to be because you start over and, and you 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 start again. If they come out of this year and they don't know about Justin Fields and they have a middling pick because they try to sort of. You know push some some chips into the future years and try to extend things so they could be a little more competitive and they you know they go 8 and 9 that's a terrible outcome right so in a way i think as fans you had to take the medicine this year and it didn't taste good it, i mean try covering this team you know for 18 <laughs> weeks folks and be on all the time trying to find silver lining and trying to find ways to cover, cover this, this team, team that's not going to just depress you it was tough. It was a tough year to go through. But now that we're through it and you have the best position in terms of draft capital, you have the most money entering free agency, the off season runs through Chicago, right? This is a great place to be as a fan. Now that we're through this season, now that we're through the BS, right? And so, yes, absolutely. I agree with you. It was the best outcome in a lot of ways because now we go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into the go, just want to ask you one last thing, and that is Justin Fields. We haven't talked about him too much, but, you know, we, I think basically all our podcasts were Justin Fields' podcasts for the last half of the season anyway. So there's been plenty of discussion about him, but, you know, let, let's, you know, get past what what we like about him. You know, and and obviously that's the, the intangibles, the leadership, the the athleticism, the the fact that he, you know, he escapability in the pocket. I mean, we can list thing after thing after thing, but what everyone likes to harp on is is the passing game, which I, I'm sitting here going, when you kind of get into the advanced analytics, you can see that he is pretty darn efficient in his limited opportunities. Obviously, we know how poor the receivers were for most of the year, even when they brought in Claypool. Claypool obviously did not accomplish much. You know, Cole Komet became a favorite target. Darnell Mooney, while he was still on the field. But overall, we, we, we keep hearing it. And we did even hear Ryan Poles here at the end of the year. He needs more growth as a passer. So why, why don't we just look at the passing game of Justin Fields? And, and let me ask you, where are you with Justin Fields as a passer? Are you comfortable or are you still questioning
2: probably more comfortable than most. Um, I think that he has an elite skill that we're probably not seeing as much as we should. The volume's very low. And the volume's low for whatever reasons, right? That's not a complete offense. Um, you know, they they were very successful in the running game. This was the best running team in the league, right? Number one in guards per game rushing. They were at a point at one point in the year where it looked like they might break some records. That was how good they were doing. And so, which in the year 2022 is kind of insane to to talk about the running game, but it was very effective. And and he led the way because of that. But as as a Rower, I still think that I feel incredibly comp- confident in his deep passing game. And and I watch Josh Allen and he completes these deep passes and I'm like Justin Fields can do that. There just needs to be the receiver on the other end. He doesn't have Stefan Diggs to throw to, right? So a lot of these guys that are having some success in this deep throw, uh, the deep passing game, they have the guy on the other end. I'm not sure the Bears had that, right? So if we can see the Bears add to the talent in the receiving core that can unlock that a little bit more, that's going to just open everything up underneath. I think that what people want to see because that they're really from, you know, Brock Purdy comes in and he runs the Kyle Shanahan offense and all he's doing is playing point guard, right? He's distributing to elite weapons. You know, there is no George Kittle on this team. There's there's no Debo Samuel on this team and there's no Brandon Ayuk on this team, right? He's got- You didn't even mention Christian chef. McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, right? I, there's <laughs> five guys right there that don't, the Bears don't have. And so all Brock Purdy's doing is he's playing point guard. He's doing it well and nothing, we should not take away anything from Brock Purdy, but he's not making these advanced layered throws with consistency that I think Justin Fields can do. So I think getting him more playmakers that can show, uh, show what they can do after the catch is only going to help, you know, and, and some scheming can help too. Right. Um, I don't know how many times he had wide open receivers during the year. Wasn't that often. Uh, I think that we saw a little bit from David Montgomery in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. I don't know why they didn't hit that button more often because he he was showing us something there. Uh, so I think that, you, you know, Luke Getzey can take some time and uh, review his first year as an offensive coordinator, figure out what worked and, and maybe hammer the things that work a little bit harder uh, next season when he gets into that sort of uh, rhythm. But overall, I'm I'm more confident than most, I think, because he he has the arm to make all of the throws. And the rest of it is going to come with time and reps that, and, and after that, what, what more do you need? You just need playmakers.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm with you, you know, lockstep there because, you know, like I, and I've brought up Josh Rosen on my podcast before, as kind of the example of where it can go wrong with a guy with an elite deep ball. Cause you know, you, you go, you know, youtube josh rosen miami dolphins highlights you will see beautiful 50 60 yard balls right in the hands of receivers some of them dropped because the dolphins were terrible at the time but you saw this elite arm but what rosen couldn't do is the short game he was a disaster you know if it third and three and he needed a, a quick out i mean the ball was going to sail out of bounds like he he could not deliver the uh, on the short ball there were some other things with rosen as well but that short passing game never came together with him so coming in after the rookie year Justin Fields' short game was a debacle. Uh, I think a lot of that was Matt Nagy and Scheme, but regardless, Justin Fields struggled there. And and I think we saw some growth there. I, I think he found some things with Cole Komet. I agree. David Montgomery would have been a, a great guy to utilize, but we're we're seeing growth. And, and that's that's what I kept stressing out. Of the pot. You're seeing Justin Fields' growth. Rookie year, we saw flashes, but we didn't really see growth. This year we I think we really saw growth. I, I think Getzy came, I thought I think we saw growth with Getzy as well. Look, there was still stuff Getsy was doing at the end of the year that I think all of us were still pulling our hair out. But I mean Getze is a play caller much better than Matt Nagy. And and I think we should be pleased there and, and pretty confident what I think what Getzy and Fields with better talent around them uh, are going to be able to do. And, you know, as we kind of dive into this offseason, let's you know, you started with David, you brought up David Montgomery. So let's start with Current Chicago Bears who are staying on this roster most likely or are free agents, but are eligible for extensions. Now we know we have a lot of money uh, that the Bears can utilize here, and most of it is probably going to be front loaded because they need to spend a lot of money this offseason. So you know, when we're looking at this current Bears roster and who's eligible for extensions, Chase Claypool is eligible for an extension. I don't see any way that the Chicago bears can do that right now. Cole Komet, based on how Ryan Poles spoke of him in the, in his press conference. I don't see any reason why Cole Komet's not going to be extended this year. I'd be curious what the price is there. That makes me a little, you know, potentially a little shy Jalen Johnson. We haven't heard much. He's, he's another potential candidate. And, and we also have David Montgomery who is a free agent and you know, there was a lot, you know, he kind of, emotions that felt at the end of that week, 18 game with David Montgomery, he's clearly a, a locker room favorite. And, and you know, uh, as start with David Montgomery kind of go through these other ones with Montgomery, I, I do not want to pay him big dollars, but there are so many running backs available this year that are kind of similar to David Montgomery that I think he could be brought back on a really affordable price. And that I necessarily would not be opposed to again, depending on the price there. I mean, if, if we're talking 10, 11 million a year for David Montgomery, no, thank you. But I think David Montgomery, I think he wants to stay. I think Ryan Poles might want to keep him. And I think they might be able to find an affordable deal to keep him around.
2: I agree with you. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And not only is there, are there backs that are similar to David Montgomery. There are some premium backs that have are potentially going to hit the market, right? Saquon Barkley is potentially a free agent. Now, I don't know that they're going to let him leave New York, but he's come back strong. He's he's a, a much higher pedigree back, right? So there are some backs that might hit free agency that you might say, well, I like David Montgomery, but this guy, this guy has another, another gear to him. This guy has another level to him. And so the Bears are in an interesting position, right? They have all of the money. And so if they want, like, you know, I don't know if you drink bourbon, Bill, but, you know, you go to the store and let's say you're a Maker's Mark guy, Maker's Mark's good. You like Maker's Mark, right? But then there's this Maker's 46, which is, you know, an extra 10, 15 bucks or whatever. And you're like, you know what? I don't want to treat myself. All of those bottles are open to the bears this year, right? They can buy whatever they want. They can buy, you know, the, the crazy expensive cognac behind the, behind the shelf uh, with, the, with the lock and key. They can buy whatever they want. And so if it comes to running back and they say, yeah, actually, we want to kind of go top shelf here and we want to go after a guy like Saquon Barkley, they can do it. Now, is that a wise thing to do? I don't know. But there's there are plenty of running backs out there where, like you say, it might actually drive down the market. We know that running back maybe isn't the most valued position anymore. That's an understatement. Um, you can always go into the draft and say, we're going to just kind of keep with youth and, and draft a guy every once in a while. I do think that the idea that Khalil Herbert can just be the number one back and you don't really have to worry about it is misplaced because he is not a complete Agreed. back. I'm at odds with with EJ on this. I like Khalil Herbert a lot. I've been talking about in terms of carries, I would have liked to have seen the carries split be about even, but I want more touches for David Montgomery because he's a more well-rounded back. You want him in there on pass pro. The number of times Khalil Herbert got blown up in pass pro this year should make you understand just how valuable David Montgomery is to the passing game, not only as a receiver, but as a blocker. So if he comes back on a nice deal for both parties that they can both feel good about, I think everybody wins. And I think everybody's happy and he's familiar with the system. And like you say, he's a locker room leader. I'd be happy with that. If they choose to, to, to go with the, the upper shelf, uh, bottle, great fine um but i just don't think that they can come out of this offseason saying Herbert's our number one guy um and and we're going with that
1: yeah and here's i am a big fan of Khalil herbert so when i say this i, I don't want to make it come across like i'm knocking him but we didn't see growth in those other areas of his game great runner yep. great runner he, he's fantastic and, and he's a value to the offense but here's where i'm worried about Khalil herbert moving forward one of the biggest issues with Matt Maggie's offense to me was predictability. Like you could look at the personnel set on the field and go, they're running it, they're passing it. And and you were right, probably 80, 90% of the time with Khalil Herbert, if he cannot grow in the passing game, it's almost going to become, unless, like you said, they go out and get Saquon Parkley or they they throw money at Tony Pollard. I don't know if those guys are going to become available. I would expect them not to become available. I think Ezekiel Elliott has a better chance to become available than than Tony Pollard at this point. But you know Saquon Barkley, I mean the Giants the Giants run the football like he's he's so critical in of that offense. I just can't see that happening. But the the bottom line is if it's Khalil Herbert with whether it be David Montgomery or something similar like that, I just feel like if you increase Herbert's role in the offense, you're going to make it more predictable. And I know Getze wants to run the football uh, and that's not going to change next year. That's still going to be a big part of the offense, especially with fields and what he can do running the football. But that's that's my biggest concern with Khalil Herbert. If you try and push his load up, you are going to make the offense more predictable with him out there.
2: You're right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to have it both ways here, right? Like I, I want him to have more carries because I think he's got sort of that, you know, uh Nick Chubb light ability to, to carry the ball. I think he's one of the better ball carriers in the league to be quite honest with you. I think he's that explosive and I think he's um, someone that they need to make sure they're taking advantage of. But if you all you can do with him is carry the ball, then you are giving it away and but he even with that, he's very successful. And so it, I find it difficult he's m- more successful carrying the ball with that predictability than David Montgomery was as a pure rusher.
1: All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. We still got more bears to discuss, and if uh, we'll see if Jeff thinks they should be extended this offseason. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman and Jeff Burkus. will be right back.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make
1: All right, welcome back in all right jb we just finished up kind of discussing david montgomery let's talk about the other offensive pieces and that's claypool mooney and comet where are you with them in terms of extensions i assume you're with me claypool not a chance but where are you with the other two and what kind of money would you like to kind of see ballpark them uh them receive on, a, on an annual value
2: yeah, I think that the the whole idea of extending a player early is that you get them at your price, right? So if you're able to extend either of those guys um at, at a rate that makes sense for the club, um, you get a little bit of a discount because you, you start early, then I think that's fine. Claypool, absolutely not. You you can't do that because he didn't show out and he's got he's got to earn that, right? He's got to prove he's gotta prove that. Um Mooney is uh obviously in lockstep with with Justin Fields in terms of their off season, this is a core piece. Um, But boy, did he look pretty rough at the beginning of the year. Now, did he just get injured before he put up real numbers uh, so that it made you feel a little bit better? I don't know. Like maybe we have to go back and kind of look at this and see, is this a guy that you're really willing to invest in? But. You cannot give him wide receiver one money. And I know that there's always, you know, that second contract, there's a little bit of inflation, uh, you know, you, you, he's certainly not going to set any sort of market, but, you know, if he's getting solid wide receiver two money, that's fine. But if he's thinks that he's going to get some wide receiver one money, wide receiver one is not on this team yet. Maybe that'll happen through a trade. Maybe that'll happen in the draft, but wide receiver one doesn't exist. I, I would have argued for Mooney last year, say, you know what, he's he can do this. He can step up into that role. I think it's clear that he couldn't. And so he's a very valuable number two, but he can't, he can't carry the load as a number one. So I don't have a specific millions of dollars per year value off the top of my head for you. But I think that if he is in line with like a solid number two wide receiver number, fine. Um, other than that, like you have to be comfortable with saying no. And if that means that he eventually walks, then, then that's that's the case. Um, but I think he really wants to be here, right? I think he wants to be in Chicago with Justin Fields. That's a really good bond. And so I hope there's, there's a way forward there. In terms of Cole Komet, Lester and I kind of bought in. We sort of had the Kool-Aid in our hands at camp because it was like, well, this is going to be Cole Komet's offense. They're running this thing through him. He, they were featuring him. He looked good. Like just Physically, he looked good. Um, they were putting him in a position to succeed. And then again, he started off rough, but then I think he overall had a pretty good year. Uh, he's not Travis Kelsey. Don't ever ask him to be that. Please stop with those tweets. That's not going to happen. Uh, but you know, if he's around the eighth or 10th highest paid tight end in the league you're pretty happy about that i think go moving yeah, forward yeah and, so. and
1: i think that's okay that's probably you know i don't have the numbers in front of me that's probably about 10 million a year and i'd be okay with that but if they are start pushing up in that 14 15 million range where he's top 3 paid I, that's that's a lot <laughs> even for a team with a lot of money
2: even for a team with a lot of money. And like you say, they're going to spend it, but they don't have to be that cavalier about it. They can still be smart in their roster construction. And in terms of a negotiation, you have to be willing to say no and let it go, right? Like You have to be willing to push it to the final year of a contract. You have to be willing to uh, let that guy walk in free agency like a David Montgomery, right? If that's the case, that's fine because there are other players that are out there that you can get at the deal that you want. That's the tough part. That's the business part of all of this. But in my opinion, those guys are nice players, but they're not players that you break your uh you know your rule for because you like them that much. Because in terms of talent, they're not anything that can't be replaced.
1: All right. Now when when we pivot to free agency, look, and I, I think we can we can go position by position. But I, I think most Bears fans, and I think most most uh, you know of us at, at Windy City, are pretty much in in agreement on, on where the holes are. I, I don't think we you know we we've been talking about the holes the last you know month plus of the of the regular season. I mean. We, we know they need another help at wide receiver. They need at least two free agents in the offensive line, maybe three. We just talked about Montgomery and possibly replacing him. They need help up front, desperately defensive side of the ball. They need a will linebacker. You know, there's there, there's plenty there. I, I think they need another quality cornerback to go opposite Jalen Johnson. There, there There's plenty of places to spend. But are there any names at this point in the season that you've kind of maybe circled in pencil, where you're kind of like, I'd love to see that be a target, assuming that they don't get locked up by their current team prior to free agency.
2: Yeah, I think if we start on defense, you got to start up front. I think there's a few names that everybody's kind of interested in. You hear a lot about Duran Payne. He's at the top of my list. That's, that's the Washington Commanders defensive tackle. Very good player. I think that they could let him shake loose just because they have such a high investment on that defensive line. They may not be able to afford him. And so that might be one of those situations where a really good player shakes loose from a team just by financial circumstances, not because there's anything wrong with the player. And so he's kind of at the top of my list. And again, great name, Payne, right? As a defensive (laughs) lineman, you got to love it. Another great name, Javon Hargrave. You know, imagine adding Grave and pain on the on the defensive line. I mean, you already get some some good stuff there. Siobhan Hargrave plays for the Eagles, so you'll get to see him next week if you don't know who that is. Another defensive lineman, very good player, a little bit older than Deron Payne, but um, still very productive player. And again, the Eagles just have such a high salary at this point with with how good their team is, how veteran their team is. They may not be able to retain him, give him the money that he needs. Another name to throw out. Uh, and, and I'll kick it to you for defensive linemen, but uh, uh, Draymond Jones from Denver, I think a good player that may be kind of option two. If uh, Daron Payne doesn't work out, Javon Hargrave doesn't work out. And again, I, if they brought in both of those guys, like amazing. And in bringing in a Draymond Jones as a backup plan uh, for one of those, one of those guys would be really great. Those are some good younger players that I think will hit free agency um, that the bears can afford. Again, they can afford the top shelf. So anybody that's that's on, on the board, no, nothing's out of their price range right now.
1: Yeah. And, and I've looked at this defensive line a lot, kind of based on how polls is going to structure the off season. And I think there's going to be kind of a little bit of an interesting tell if the bear, the bears may trade this first pick early, right? It, it could happen. They could, you know, they get the deal they want. They don't think they're going to beat it and they could, you know, when, when you get to the combine, the, the combine is where a lot of these conversations are had. So it could be early March and the bears make their move trade with the Colts or the Panthers or whoever it's going to be. And we're going to kind of know where they are, but it also may not come till mid April. It may not even come till draft night. I wouldn't expect it with the first pick, but You know, those type of things, they they could come after free agency. If it does come after free agency, what I'm really curious about is how much investment polls does in the defensive line, knowing that Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are the top two defensive players. Because to me, if he goes out there, he's got Justin Jones, who's going to be hopefully a rotational player next year. But Mm -hmm. with Jones and you know, he's going to sign at least one, you know, big time defensive tackle. I'd be shocked if he didn't do that. That he could go into the, you know, maybe sign one edge and leave kind of Robinson and Gibson and those guys kind of rotating on the on the other edge. He could do something like that where he goes and gets one edge and goes out and gets one D tackle, whether it's a nose or a three-tack, to to kind of go into the draft where if he expects to be keeping in the Will Anderson, Jalen Carter range, then yeah, I think that's kind of a tell because he can set it up where like, let's say they signed Deron Payne, like you brought up Payne and I'm a big, big fan of Payne as well. I think that'd be a phenomenal fit. And you kind of, you finish free agency saying, all right, we're going to go into the next year with Justin Jones and Payne as our two tackles, but pay pace, geez, but polls is kind of knowing at that point that that's that Jalen Carter's probably the guy, or maybe they leave that spot open at edge. I think it's going to be kind of an interesting thing to see how he you know what he invests up front on the defensive line on that front four, because of the fact that there is if they trade down to the point, or maybe even Stan Pat, I don't think that's gonna happen, but you know, edges go one all the time. Miles Garrett went, you know, there's there's you know that that could absolutely happen with Will Anderson, he's that good. If that happens and you know, pace <laughs> Brian falses is expecting you know, to have Carter or Anderson on his roster by draft night, it'll be curious. I'm curious to see how he structures his, because you don't want to over-invest in defensive line, right? He, he spends three huge contracts and then goes out and gets Carter. He's got basically too much there and not enough elsewhere. So I'd be curious how he structures the free agent, you know, acquisitions up front on the defensive line.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I think that the edge is just a little bit weaker. There's some better defensive tackles in this free agency class. For sure. Uh, the, you know, the edge, I mean, Yannick Ngakwe, right? I mean, nice player, not anybody that you're going to overinvest in. Some people like Marcus Davenport, others different. He's a little bit polarizing of a figure. He's out there as a free agent. Um, the only other guy on defense that I'll name, I think the linebackers, you can, he's proven with Jack Sanborn, I think he's proven he can he can find somebody. I'm not really worried about linebackers. I don't want to overinvest in them in free agency um, or necessarily high up in the draft. Um, but I do agree with you that the Bears could use another corner. I like the idea of adding that fifth defensive back to this mix and really solidifying that group. I think we saw some uh, really good stuff from Eddie Jackson. He deserves to come back. I, see, I think we saw some really good stuff from uh, Jaquan Brisker. So I think those safeties are good. We like Jalen Johnson. He gets hurt sometimes. Kyler Gordon started to come on. Who's that fifth piece? How about Jamel Dean? Corner from, from Tampa Bay, really good player. They might be blowing it up. They I think they're blowing interested. it up, yep. They might not be interested in bringing back. They need a gap year. They need to reset because they kind of went all in with this Brady stuff. One one year too much, right? Like they probably shouldn't have done it this year. I think we all witnessed that last night. Uh, but Jamel Dean for me is the guy, uh, cornerback that I'm I'm particularly interested in. I think James Bradbury is out there too, but uh, uh, Jamel Dean's a little younger, I believe, and, and interests me a lot. So that, that's the name. That's the last guy I'll mention on defense.
1: Dean's, I hadn't thought of Dean. Dean could be a a fit that that does make a lot of sense. Now, while we're on Tampa, I'll I'll switch the offensive side of the ball um, because we, we, you talked about wide receiver. We talked about how wide receiver one might become, you know, available via a trade to the Chicago bears. And I think the one guy, and I know he loves being in Tampa. I know he loves it there, but if you tell him that Kyle Trask is your QB one next year, he may have a different mindset. And I think he'd be phenomenal with Justin Fields. And that's Mike Evans. I don't know if he's going to become available, but if, you know, I think Tom Brady's playing next year, but I don't think he's playing in Tampa. If, if, you know, they're blowing it up and trying to say, all right, we're going to, we're going to fire Byron Leftwich, we're going to really kind of start over here and, and do a couple different things. If Mike Evans is available, that's my top target. If I'm Ryan Poles.
2: Fantastic. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, someone that, you know, can go up and get the ball. Justin Fields, build a rapport with that guy, throw it deep. Mike Evans, borderline Hall of Famer might be a Hall of Fame player, right? Like I think he's really Hall good. of Famer.
1: I mean, you look at those stats. I don't think people realize how good his numbers are. He's never not had a thousand yards
2: and, and he's, and he's a touchdown machine. Yep. Right. And so absolutely, I love that. And this is the, that's the type of player. And again, I kind of feel like this about Hopkins too, is that you're trading probably a pretty big contract. I don't know the Evans contract off the top of my head, but probably has a a decent contract associated with him. And so that the team's going to take on some of that and he's older, right? Like, so you're not necessarily getting this, this player that's going to play for you for, you know, seven, eight years down the road. It's a shorter term of of what you're going to get this guy for. That doesn't cost a lot. So the Bears may be able to pluck a player like an Evans or a Hopkins, household names, you know, huge careers, all that for less than you might think. Now, is it going to be the Amari Cooper the the deal that was able to pry him away from Dallas last year? I don't know. Maybe not. That's a pretty low compensation that that ended up being. But I don't think it's as high as people think. And I and I could absolutely see by trading out of that number one overall pick, generating more draft capital to be able to flip something down to Tampa and say, we'll take that salary off your hands, bring him up here. Um, that could be a phenomenal fit. And then all of a sudden Evans is your one, or again, you want to go to, you want to go to Arizona uh, Hopkins is your one. And then that makes everybody else. is that much better. Mooney fits into that number two role. Absolutely. Claypool can settle in as a number three. Cole Komet, you know, makes him a little better. It just makes everybody better because they're slotted into a more appropriate position in the hierarchy.
1: Yeah. I, I like Hopkins a lot too. I mean, obviously yeah, nukes, nukes, a phenomenal player. Uh, I'd be curious if poles and Eberflus would want him. I mean, he ruffled some feathers in Arizona, He's, you know, he had the steroid issue, the the PED issue that he missed some games with this year. I'd be curious if they'd roll the dice on bringing someone like him in. I don't think they have any of those type of concerns with Evans. But if Poles is going to focus on getting a top dog for Justin Fields, I mean, those those are two names, obviously, that'll be right at the top of his list, What one would think. And Hopkins, I'm confident Hopkins will be available. I just don't know if Evans is. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but before, you know, I let you go, got to talk offensive line. Um, you know, that's one we know Ryan Poles already said he's going to get better. And he said it is when he was hired. I'm all about offensive line. I think Cody Whitehair's done in Chicago. Um, but what he kind of does elsewhere, I, I, I like the fact that he didn't talk about Lucas Patrick, because, you know, Patrick was not good. Now, again, was he would he be better if he was center? you know, because that's what he was brought in to do. He was not good at guard. I don't think he's going to be off the roster next year, but I certainly don't want them penciling him in as a starter anywhere on this offensive line. I think Braxton Jones might be one of those guys where he's penciled in at left tackle. And if something happens where, you know, the trade to put the number one pick ends up being nine and they're sitting there with Caroline and let's say Paris Johnson is sitting there and they said, well, we, you know, That's the only way I see Jones not starting next year. I think Tevin Jenkins is set at right guard, but right tackle center and left guard, I think there's going to be some churn. I don't know if he's bringing in three, you know, starter level offensive linemen, but it has to be a minimum of two.
2: I think I'm going to the draft with the center. Uh, just because there's some really good center prospects, I think I'm earmarking kind of a second, third round pick for one of those center prospects. That you know, the, the kid out of uh, Minnesota, Chicago guy, right? Like, I mean, that that feels like every, John Michael Schmitz. Everything kind of feels like everything's pointing to that. Everybody's got him in a mock draft right now, going to the Bears. But again, I, I, I'll, I'll wait until that happens to start celebrating. But that looks like a, a really perfect pick for me in free agency. I think you got to go after a right tackle. Mike McGlinchey is obviously kind of the top name right now. I don't know if the Niners let him go again. You got a team. that's kind of going for it, but and he's the perfect fit. in that Kyle Shanahan offense gets, he's obviously running somewhat of a, a similar offense there. I love McGlinchey. That would have been, that would be a great uh, addition in free agency. If you, if you whiff on that, or he goes back to, to the 49ers, I'd say Caleb McGarry down from, from the Falcons would be a good fit. Um, I like him. He's a nice player, and I I don't know if he'll get out of Atlanta, but it's not like the they're rushing to to sign him to an extension. I do think you're going to sign a right tackle in in free agency. Larry Borum becomes your swing. Great, great spot for Larry Borum to be your swing tackle. That's what we've always wanted out of him. He's a nice uh, player that can fill into both both spots. I think you can find a guard. I do like, uh, Isaac Cia Malo from, uh, from the Eagles, um, probably my favorite guard that might hit the market. Um, I, I don't know. I just kind of like those, uh, those Polynesian offensive linemen. So maybe that, maybe that's just my bias, but a uh, good, good player for the Eagles. And I think he might shake free.
1: Yeah. I, and look, I, I, I like those as well. Um, you know, I think, you see, here's the thing. And, and I understand what you're saying about center. I, I do. And, and you know, Luke Weipler is another guy I, I like. I, there, there's plenty of centers out there. And, you know, centers almost never go in round one. Um, but, you know, round two and round three is where they all get gobbled up. And you get really quality offensive linemen, you know, especially in the interior, in in those picks, you know, 40 to 75. You know, there's, there's a lot of them that go there. I just... When you're looking at those type of rounds, sometimes the board doesn't break your way. And if it doesn't break your way or someone else falls and you're like, we can't pass on this guy. We have to take this guy, you know, forget center. I just if it ends up being Lucas Patrick at center next year because the draft didn't break right. I just, I just am gonna have serious concerns about that offensive line. Even if they bring in a McGlinchey and they bring in a guard and they they draft some, you know, even if they beef it up a little bit, I just look. I understand how much that, that Getzey and Polls both liked uh, Lucas Patrick, and I understand they had expectations for him despite kind of getting them at that that low level deal. And like I said, he played, what, eight snaps at center or whatever yeah, it was. Can I this think,
2: year. something like that? Yeah,
1: like, I mean, you you can't even grade him as a center because we didn't see it. But, you know, and, and we've seen guys who, you know, excel at guard and can't play center, even though they were drafted to be center or vice versa. You know, we, we've seen that type of thing happen. So I'm not saying that Patrick would be a complete bust, you know, confidently busted center. I just if they don't go into anything if they're still at the draft, and that's the only center on the roster because they can't figure Sam Mustafer is going to be back, I I just I can't sit there comfortably with that.
2: <laughs> I I can understand that. That makes sense. Um, again, it, nothing none of this happens in a vacuum. But my hope would be that's what they come out of the draft with is one of those center prospects that I think could uh, you know be with Justin Fields for a long time. There's a couple of them that we really like. So I hope that they make that investment. But like you say, you don't necessarily want to risk that to Sam Mustafer and his voodoo doll that he kept poking Lucas Patrick and, you know, the rookie center last night, Doug Kramer out of Illinois, right? Like all these people that could have competed with Sam Mustafer, they just kept getting mysteriously injured. I think, I think Sam Mustafer is practicing (laughs) some dark arts. That's all I'm saying.
1: All right. And last one before I let you go wide receiver, if the Evans Hopkins thing doesn't happen, if I give you a choice, Jacoby Myers or someone in round two, if what would you rather see? I, I think a lot of people like Myers. I think he could be a great fit in this offense. But look, we see the talent that is constantly there for wide receiver in round two. Uh, DK Metcalf, round two. Debo Samuel, round two. I think AJ Brown was round two. You get great receivers potentially in round two. Would you rather pay Myers or would you rather go for a round two receiver?
2: Round two receiver. I feel like I already have those guys that are good wide receiver twos or wide receiver two candidates on the roster. I don't need another one. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to take my chance at, at on the second round and hope that I hit a wide receiver one.
1: All right. Well, there he is. Uh, Jeff Berkus. You hear him all the time on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel. Make sure you check out his podcast with Lester all offseason long on Bear and Balance. Of course, you have him with EJ during the season on Bears over Beers. And of course, he'll be building the board all off season. Jeff, thanks for so much time. I really enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. All right, Jeff Berkus, everybody. Let's take a quick break. We will wrap up this podcast with some things you need to know about this offseason. Next, Bears Bender, Bill Zimmerman. Be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast. There he is, Jeff Burkus Everybody, I enjoyed that conversation with Jeff. Jeff Jeff runs a great podcast. He's a you know obviously he's he's prominent on, on this podcast channel. Does a great job. And like I said, we've we've talked. We when Justin Fields was drafted, EJ Jeff and I did a crossover episode. I we must have gone on for an hour and a half. We were all so excited that Justin Fields was a Chicago Bear. And two years later, Justin Fields is showing exactly why. We were all so happy that he was a Chicago Bear. A lot of electricity uh, in, in in that player, and that that that's a lot of fun. But yeah, Jeff Jeff brought up a lot of good points, and I'm right there with him. I I, I honestly Jeff and I disagree on some stuff. Uh, we've even gotten feisty in some DMs before, going back and forth on some certain things. But we're really in agreement here on on this off season. now. My approach sometimes on offseason is a little different, and I'll be honest, I'm not used to, I mean, we're all used to the Bears being bad, but I'm not used to the Bears having these top five picks. I mean, the only other time they've done this recently, obviously, is is the Mitch Trubisky move. But I, the one thing in a draft is I I never like planning to get someone in the draft, like say, all right, we are going to fill this position in the draft. Now, if you're sitting number one, number two, you can do that. But I don't know if the Chicago Bears are still going to be sitting at number one or number two. So that, that what they do with the number one pick just has such an impact as to how they approach the offseason. Because, you know, when, when you look at these potential trade downs with the, the number one pick, look... The, Arizona? You know, number three, they're, they're not coming up to, to do that number one pick. Is Houston going to come up? And even if they do, you're not going to score a giant score to just move down one spot. So that first spot really is the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, that that is a potential trade partner. It does seem like Ballard is going to go into the draft to go out and get his new quarterback and kind of start the clock there. And Chris Ballard will finally have to commit to a young quarterback. As we know, it's been a veteran carousel there since Andrew Luck. Uh, we've, We've seen Phillip Rivers. We've seen Matt Ryan. We've seen Carson Wentz. So look. He, he's going to have that option again if Ballard, you know, I don't know how much Ursay is going to play into that, but he's going to have an option to go out and get Derek Carr if that's what he wants to do. But that that roster isn't quite as strong as it's been. There's still talented players on there like Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Nelson, you know, I mean, Leonard missed pretty much all, all year, but, I mean, we, there is some, you know, DeForest Buckner, if he's still going to be on the roster. So there is talent to be had on the Indianapolis Colts roster if they potentially want to trade a player. And i am be curious if Ballard is going to break the bank to move up to number one and take his guy. Because, look, here's the thing with the Colts that's tricky. Let's say Ballard sits there at four and goes, I love C.J. Stroud and Will Levis. Bryce Young, eh. I love those other two guys. I'd be fine with either, depending on how the draft breaks. If that happens, the Bears lose that trade partner and someone else is going to come up and take Bryce Young. And then at number two, Houston is going to take, if they stick quarterback, is going to take Stroud or Levis. And then Seattle is going to take Anderson or Carter. And then the Colts are going to get whatever quarterback is left. Maybe that's going to be enough for Ballard. We don't know if Bryce Young is his guy. We'll find out over the next couple months. You know, everything will start leaking about who the Colts love and who this team loves. So if that doesn't happen, well, then suddenly the Bears have to look further down for that trade partner. And if someone like Carolina wants Bryce Young and they're willing to pay the price and to go from nine to one is going to be a huge haul for Ryan Poles. But that's going to eliminate Carter and Anderson from his, you know, know, they're just not going to be there at nine. Now, that could open the door for offensive line. You know, we're going to see how all this settles, especially after the combine, but you're going to have a Paris Johnson type, maybe a Skaronski type, if, you know, you Northwestern fans out there, maybe that's where you start looking at wide receiver one. Maybe Quentin Johnston becomes the target at number nine, something like that, the TCU wide receiver. So, you know, there's going to be interesting options there if the Chicago Bears trade all the way down. I think a lot of Bears fans, myself included, Kind of look at that Colts spot at the sweet spot because that means if the Colts come up and take a quarterback, assuming the Texans take a quarterback, that means the Bears are guaranteeing themselves either Anderson or Carter, depending on who Seattle wants at three. And that is a beautiful spot to be in because you're going to get the second round pick that they lost with Chase Claypool because the Colts are going to be right up there, right by where the Bears were. You're going to get a first round pick next year which if the Colts are going to rookie quarterback, that's probably a top 10 pick. So you're looking at the 8th, ninth, 10th pick in the draft of next year, still number four, getting a big defensive player that you desperately need and getting back up into the top part of the second round. That is a sweet spot to be in, and that is tough to beat in terms of the Chicago Bears and what they need. But again, if you're looking at the Carolina Panthers, There's a lot more draft picks than than what, you know, I just mentioned from the Indianapolis Colts. A lot more. Potentially two additional first-round picks beyond number nine and second-round, third-round picks, future, you know, current and future year. So the Panthers are going to have to give up a boatload if that's a team that loves Bryce Young and wants to go up there. It'll be very interesting to see what happens there. And we're going to start really hearing rumors around the time of the NFL Combine. That's when the media and the front offices all are mingling at the same places. They all go to the bars at night. Everybody starts throwing back a few beers. People start talking, and, and you start getting information. It comes out every year at the Combine, and I would expect with the with three potential quarterbacks, with, with Levis, Stroud, and, and Young, and the Bears sitting at number one with Justin Fields, there is going to be a ton of chatter about that number one pick, and you are gonna hear rumors galore, and they are gonna be fun to react to. A lot of them are gonna be BS, who cares? They will be fun to react to. This is gonna be a fun off-season. We should all be very excited and looking forward to this. I know we always laugh about the bad teams about winning the off-season. The Bears are gonna win the off-season. Doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna turn into wins next year, but Jacksonville won the off-season last year, and now they're sitting in the divisional round of the playoffs. So it can happen. If you win the offseason and you win it properly, you can make huge strides, and that's where the Chicago Bears are. So we'll talk to you again down the line. When we've got more to talk about, you know we will. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios.